0: Welcome back to The Goalie Corner presented by One Stop Goaltending. I'm Michael Hales. and Today, we have a special guest, Denon Maximchuk. He's coming on to explain the athlete recovery pyramid to clear up the confusion around what an athlete needs to focus on and invest in to help performance, recovery, and compete at a higher level. Denon has worked with athletes on a national level and specifically, has worked with goaltenders from junior A all the way to the NHL. He is currently co he currently co-owns international female health coaching business called Embodied Wellness Company with Sarah Collins. Denon, long time coming. You and I played together back in juniors, trained together. I think we had pretty similar styles. Uh, and then we just kind of not necessarily grew apart, but we definitely split off into our avenues, right? I'm happy that it's come back together kind of full circle because you're always one of those guys that I like to be around because good person, uh, focused, driven, definitely a self-starter, right? You're a guy that with a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things. I'm happy to have you on talking about the athlete recovery pyramid because that's something I kind of stink at.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for the kind intro, brother. I don't know about us playing together. I think you were the one playing. I was uh, on the sidelines most of the time, but uh, I certainly enjoyed my experience being the glorified water boy for most of the time there. But uh, thank you so much for the kind intro, man. It is a pleasure to join your podcast. Goaltending for me, athletics for me has always been kind of the foundation of uh, where I came from. Um, I've always loved working with athletes. And and, uh, over the past couple of years, obviously branched out into other industries, but um, nonetheless, coming back to this is really what sets my heart on fire. And I, I couldn't be more excited today to kind of talk about the athlete recovery hierarchy and, and the pyramid at which, um, both parents and athletes need to be looking at when they start to look at what is the most important and what is the least important things that we really want to dive into because nowadays, like Athletes and parents combined are inundated with hundreds of different products and services every year that are um, the newest, latest thing. And and the the next thing coming around the corner, that's going to be revolutionizing the way you recover in order to perform and, you know, gain overall success in whatever sport you're in. Specifically in this, it's goaltending. And like everybody does want to recover, perform and succeed to the best of our our abilities. Um, and we're pretty much being sold new ideas to, to do this all the time. And it gets confusing. And, and myself included, right? Uh, when you start to get really high level in, in human performance and optimization in general, um, the variables begin to widen more and more important. and more. You start instead of looking at one or two or three things, it turns into 20, 30, 40 different things that we can use and become aware of to optimize our health performance and um, overall longevity in whether that's Maybe business, maybe that's uh, just yourself as a parent, you're trying to be the best you can, or specifically in this situation, um, as an athlete in a sport. Um, Whether or not we actually want to play at an elite level or if we're just enjoying the experience and we just want to get better at maybe our beer league team or whatever, we still need to look at across the board um, a hierarchy of how we need to approach uh, sport optimization or just life optimization in general. And a lot of the time, it comes back to the foundations of health that really build performance. So today, I really want to take a deeper dive into each of these topics, going from the most important, the least important, and help to give some clarity on um, each of the categories and give actionable items and tips throughout the show uh, on each one of these.
0: Right on. I definitely feel sympathy there when you say, There's always new products coming out. There's always new, uh, it seems like there's always a new recovery powder, drink this like 10 minutes after your workout and you're going to gain 10% more muscle, right? Yeah. yeah, All those fun things because it's everywhere, right? There's new training methods. There's that new um, VR goalie training stuff that I've been looking into. And it's like, you know what? Like, why do we need this? Are we just reinventing the wheel here? Like, is there an easier way to sustain ourselves, right? So let's let's crack off this pyramid here. Right at the base here, we have planned training program, right? It's the biggest piece of the pie. Uh, when this episode goes live, we'll post this on Instagram, the, the pyramid itself, uh, so everybody can see what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, and for everybody who's just listening, if you picture a pyramid down at the base of the pyramid, this is the foundation of the pyramid, right? So this is the most important thing that you want to focus on. So right off the bat, um, when I sent it to you, I I call it first a well-planned training program. I kind of want to actually reframe that a little bit and call it a well-structured approach to physical stress. So like the most important thing in an athlete's recovery protocol is probably the most variable area, which is this, uh, because physical stress changes from person to person. Um, But at the same time, I think it's one of the most overlooked areas because as athletes and especially, um, I assume most of your audience is male, um, just given the fact that most of the sport is is male, but um, high testosterone male driven individuals really have a tendency to not know when it's time to stop and will really abuse their young athletic abilities, um, much like I did when I was younger. So yeah, the first off we want to look at is a well-structured approach to physical stress, because at the end of the day, you can't foam roll or Theragun your way out of a very poorly designed training program or physical stress program. And when I say training program, what I mean is your dry land, your, uh, your office training in combination with all of your, uh, on sport practices as well as games these are going to be all physical uh physical stressors that really trigger physiological adaptations that will affect your recovery performance and at the end of the day your ability to perform both physically and mentally at a high level we'll get to the mental kind of aspect of like where that comes in a little bit later but if you screw this up you really begin to i would say a lot. I think most of the time, you, you, can, you can't undertrain, but for the most part, if you screw this area up, it's mostly because people are overtraining. And that's partly due to the fact that, I don't know if you listen to Dr. Andrew Huberman a lot, I, I love neuroscience, but um, testosterone is actually, when we're young, it, it's something that tells us, and both men and women as in our teenage years specifically have an increase in testosterone. And testosterone actually tells our body um, that we like Physical labor. It's one of the reasons that uh, many young men get into bodybuilding, for example, in their teenage years, because uh, that physical stress is actually telling the body, it's the testosterone is telling the body that we like this, do more of this. Um, So, for the most part, people will likely overtrain in their teenage years. And the symptoms of overtraining is is no joke. And again, overtraining means in the gym, on the ice, uh, your practices, and a combination of all of these things together. Um, for a young athlete, this can be something that will make or break your progress a lot of the time. And and professionals, uh, a lot of the time, this is the fine line between uh, retirement and longevity in the sport, as well as physical abilities in life. So this is something that happened to me. Um, I was on the ice two to three times a day between uh, my goalie coach practice, usually practicing up with the team uh, on the next level for mine. And I also really loved hitting the gym. Obviously, this kind of ended up turning into my career path. Um, So you couldn't keep me out of there, right? The problem is, like overtraining syndrome presents many different issues. Um, Certain symptoms that may come up with that are prolonged, like prolonged fatigue. Um, You just feel tired all the time. Uh, A lot of people will experience an increase in tension, depression, anger, and confusion. um, Partly due to the fact that you're a moody teenager quite a lot of the time. I assume we're mostly talking to teenagers, but um, that will. Kind of just provoke the uh, the inability to relax. I would say another thing is it it will ruin your sleep quality. Uh, that lack of energy is going to decrease your motivation in the sport, which is one thing that happened to me. Michael was actually right there after the first period of our uh, first preseason game of the season um, when we were standing at the boards. And after the first period, I'm just sitting there. I turned to him and I said, "I'm done. I don't think I can do this because I was overtraining so hard. I had no motivation to get back on the ice." And maybe if I wasn't overtraining so much, maybe Michael and I would have played together for another couple of years. And, you know, and they're on, who knows, right? But that was part of the the issue of of overtraining. Other things would be uh, more occurrences of illnesses, uh, increased blood pressure and resting heart rates, as well as we see this a lot uh, in Embodied Wellness Co, a female health company of ours, is that uh, irregular menstrual cycles um, and missing your periods. And uh, we, we look at the period as, as like a fifth vital sign. Um, women who are overtraining will oftentimes uh, start to see issues with that. And that's a critical sign that we need to start pulling back in areas. So a plan that doesn't include enough rest days, uh, maybe it increases the load too quickly. And when I say load, this could be either the weight or resistance used in your off-ice training, or perhaps even the frequency in which you're on the ice. Uh, if we're increasing that too quickly, or maybe increasing the intensity, which would also, I would define as... Um, going from off-ice training or on-ice training in the off-season, for example, um, which was maybe a little bit more relaxed, directly into hardcore game training, that can be something that pushes us over the edge, um, as well as intensity being going from maybe uh, like an adaptation period in the gym and then moving directly into max effort sprints is something that can A – increase the likelihood of injury or um, begin to tip us into the edge of overtraining as our nervous system is likely going to be overstimulated by a rapid jump into all out work. Um, So both increasing the load too quickly, increasing the intensity too quickly um, will put us at an increased risk for injury. And in my professional opinion, a well-designed program will include a large amount of low intensity work mixed with small amounts of high intensity and moderate intensity work, which is strategically placed throughout the week um, in amongst like lower intensity days. And this is kind of like the very basic overview of like progressive overload. Um, And this obviously changes drastically from in-season and off-season, which is different depending on each athlete and also brings up a I think you would probably agree a heavily debated topic, which we were actually starting to talk about before we went live, um, which in my opinion, I normally wouldn't really work with athletes during the season in off ice training in any really sort of intensive way, other than on like large Christmas breaks or anything like that, partly due to the fact that a lot of my clientele were elite and pro and likely their teams had trainers already. Uh, and I, and I wouldn't want to step on their toes, but uh, I think as an athlete, um, The older days of throwing them in the gym, having them do heavy squats, deads, and bench press are are probably over. As we look towards the longevity of an athlete in a sport uh, during the season is going to be far more focused on the on-field or on-ice focused training at a higher rate and with more of a focus on just maintaining strength and energy system demands at a lowest possible dose necessary in order to... Um, ensure that like our on ice performance or on field performance is at its peak. So for a lot of the time, uh, a couple of years ago when I was working more so with goalies, the, during the season stuff would be more, uh, maybe one to two resistance training uh, sessions off ice in amongst, let's say one day of rest before. And one day of rest after which, um, you played in college. And, uh, I assume most of your games were on weekends, right? Just due to the school schedule which that makes it a little bit easier to adjust your your training and rest schedule based on that, which is actually pretty handy. Uh, But it does differ from, um, from league to league, from person to person. But I'd say above all um, the off season is when like when obviously we turn things up a lot more um, and in season is when we, the number one focus would be less on creating the stimulus for change and adaptation and more so focused just on the sport demand itself. And, uh, yeah, I'd say like at the end of the day, having somebody in your corner or a mentor who's educated enough and has a well enough proven track record of working with elite athletes is a hugely important factor in optimizing like the number one, most important thing in an athlete's recovery hierarchy, which is your physical stress. Um, so if you screw that up, you screw everything up, right. All the way down the line, all of the next topics that we're going to be getting into.
0: I want to touch on that too. Um, there's a lot of information in there. So if you're, yeah, if you're listening, you might want to replay that back in the day, I would say, and you see it actually now, nowadays too. Junior teams still go to the gym every day or every other day, but the smart players change their workouts to more maintenance, right? So if you're doing squats which squats are kind of back squats i think are haven't aged well right like they're on the they're on the out
1: they're becoming irrelevant
0: exactly right so if you're doing lunges bulgarian split squats front squats are even better um or any kind of clean and jerk sort of stuff right you're just maintaining a healthy 10 to 12 rep three sets weight right? Whatever you're comfortable with. In the summer is when you try to up that weight. But what I'm seeing, especially in a younger field, people don't want to be bulky anymore, right? When you and I played, if you're under 200 pounds or under 180, you were like, mm, good luck. Like we need you to be heavier to protect yourself. Now it's like, if you're 160, you're heavy, it's for me it's kind of i can't wrap my head around it because i want my goalies to be strong i want them to be a little bit thicker because if they get bulldozed like i did when you and i were playing together I, yeah we were <laughs> small <laughs> i wasn't i was 190 yeah like but even still
1: compared to yeah go ahead
0: but yeah yeah like, yeah compared to the biggest forward and the biggest defenseman on our team yeah we were height wise we were short um, but what happened when I got like severely injured was my, because of how strong my quads and hamstrings were, they took away the uncertainty of this, or they took the stability portion that usually an ACL and MCL provide. They took the stability job away from the, my injury, right? Mm-hmm. A kid bumped his knee a couple nights ago. Uh, in one of the u fifteen teams, knee instantly swolled up. His I know we're an audio only, but his leg was like this. That's how big his quad well, the size a
1: grapefruit for people watching. <laughs> yeah, listening.
0: <laughs> and like I'm like, okay, well, it looks like you're grabbing crutches. like you got no power here, right? So for yeah. me, bulk up in the summer, maintain it in the winter. And I still think you should be in the gym. I'm old school, I think. I think you should still be in the gym. But the workouts are very different. Bands are amazing, I think. Body weight, good. But you're not pushing heavy, heavy weight. Right? Yeah. You don't need to. I've been kicked out of a lot of gyms when I was playing. <laughs> um, Sorry, Planet Fitness. I've, I've been kicked out. Like My coaches came in and pulled my key card. So I wasn't allowed to go into the gym. That happened. Uh, my
1: first junior a, um, preseason game. I went into the dressing room with a pump on because at Frank crane arena in a NIMO, there's uh, the rec center gym is right next door to it. Coach walks in. He's like, did, did you just work out? And, uh, I kind of got pulled to the side and he, he told me I, I had to choose between uh, which path I was following fitness industry or hockey. By that time, I already knew that was probably one of my last games. Anyway, I was like, I think I'm on my way out, but, um, I wasn't really going to talk about it a bunch, but I I think what we're talking about is like a specific training style based on a program. And, um, strength is not always synonymous with muscle size and the actual size of the body. However, if we look at mobility, which is different from flexibility, right? A, A joint can have a certain range of motion, right? But where you're actually mobile and strong within that range of motion depends on your strength. Now, yoga is a great example of this because I can put myself into a difficult position, learn how to breathe in it and hold that position in a tough range. And that then helps create strength in that range. It doesn't mean I'm, it means I'm, yeah, sure. I could be flexible, but it means I'm mobile in that range and mobility is really strength in motion, right? So if I find a difficult yoga pose, for example, and become and, and I become good at moving through and into those ranges, that's creating stability around those joints. Now, I wasn't really going to jump into it, but like I have phases of training that I usually take somebody through, right? And the very first thing is what I would call an anatomical adaptation phase. And that's when I break down your body look at your body. And essentially, it's a primer phase to make it really simple to understand. <laughs> uh, a primer <laughs> phase... my bad um a primer phase to kind of help your body get ready for the demands that are further to come so i basically take you through some testing exercises see how you move look at your overactive underactive regions maybe your weak areas or or, um over overly strengthened areas which everybody has goalies do tend to have some very prominent areas uh, as compared to the regular person but um then we move into the next phase which would be uh essentially uh, muscular endurance so let's okay we've identified areas that may need work let's now create stability more stability in these first foundational phases of making those muscles work longer so we have endurance in that specific muscle after that we might then move up into the next phase which would be uh, creating actual hypertrophy around those areas so that's the the quote unquote, bulk, even though people don't realize how hard it is to actually put on muscle. Some people are genetically gifted, but for the most part, muscle takes effort to put on. So now that we've created endurance in that area, so we're not going to hurt the joint or soft tissues around it or the tendons and ligaments. Now let's grow some of the muscle around it, which will help a bit with strength, but now we've also got more tissue to protect the joint. And by this point, maybe we're second or third month in um, the tendons and ligaments have now adapted to that sort of stress. Uh, After that is when we can start moving into uh, strength phases. So now we can put ourselves under a higher load. Now that our muscles, tendons and ligaments have adapted muscles will adapt way faster than tendons and ligaments, by the way, like the other soft tissues, just so people know that's why you do have to take a a bit of a a smarter, slower approach to this. Um, So once we're through that, we can then start overloading the body with harder, heavier work, building the strength base around those areas, still keeping the quality movement in mind. And next is when we can start to work on more ballistic, explosive work like that because we've created this base foundation of strength and stability around the joints. So that's a, a really basic overview of like uh, a nice progression that would move us into a stage where we can safely do explosive, like not maybe not Olympic lifting right off the bat, obviously, but um, more dangerous styles of training that would translate More specifically, into your on-ice or on-field performance, and that's my TED talk. See you later. Bye. (laughs) Yeah,
0: geez, I think we're gonna have to have a couple episodes here.
1: I think so. I'm I'm already realizing this is going to be a two-hour podcast. I have I have seven pages of notes written here, so (laughs) we're on page one. (laughs) Uh,
0: uh, I'll try. I'll
1: try to speed it up after this.
0: (laughs) Give us Spark Notes, and you know what. How about we do this? Yes, this is going on in podcast, so everybody's going to be aware. Let's do a Spark Notes version. I know it's going to be challenging for you.
1: It is. It is.
0: Um, Bit of a talker. <laughs> you and I both. You and I both. But then once a month, we kind of reconnect here and hit one topic hard.
1: Yeah, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I think I could. I could do that.
0: Right. Provides so you, you want a little bit more.
1: Spark notes into those rest bits here.
0: Yeah. So let's hit sleep, nutrition, stress management. That trifecta that I think everybody knows me to be um, rock solid on. Especially sleep. I'm good for my eight hours.
1: I see you smiling. Yeah. So if, we're, <laughs> if, we're, if, we're, if we're to uh, <laughs> that sarcasm for anybody who doesn't know Michael well enough. If you're a new listener um
0: so uh, most person, my, sorry most my my goalie trackers know um i'll stay up late so you guys can get to sleep and i'll do all the work
1: for you um, and that's commitment from your coach folks yeah so uh, first and foremost obviously when we're looking at this hierarchy number one is a well trained uh well well-planned training system, or in other words, a well-structured approach to your physical stress. Now, that whole time there I was talking, this isn't just a ploy to have you come work with me. It, believe me, it's not. In the, during the season, it's, it's really not as important. It's I think it's more important to have a mentor with you to help like, like, I'm sure Michael does for you is uh, take you through this process and be like, dude, you need to rest now, or, or you know, it, a little bit of, of common sense goes a long way into this. But I know as a young athlete, it's very, very hard to do that because you have this serious pursuit and drive to do more. Um, but having a trainer in your back pocket to help with this is a huge investment. Um, in your success moving forward. Because if you don't do that, that will begin to af- affect uh, your sleep and nutrition, which is number two. So no matter what, you can't out sleep and you can't out nutrition over training uh, or under training for that matter. So uh, point number two is yes, sleep and nutrition. I would start first with sleep. Um, so if you, I know this might seem over and over again with people's like, yeah, and I know, I know I've heard this, but like 2008 study, for example, was looking into stress fractures. um, And what they did is they introduced the recommended minimum six hours of sleep a night um, and found a a 60% reduction in the incidence of stress fractures for an individual. Another study in 2017, uh, Emphasized the evidence that increased uh, sleep duration and improved quality, not just the actual duration of your sleep, but the quality of your sleep in athletes is associated with improved performance and competitive success. Now, interestingly, in the study, it did show that naps did not have the same effect as compared to higher quality sleep duration. And that's really the important thing. There is a uh, sleep duration is one thing. And I know there's lots of people who can sleep 12 hours, quote unquote, but a lot of the, the term going around lately is is, is junk sleep, right? The quality of your sleep is super, super important. So I got a um, question
0: on that. So, yes, sir. so net, na- so naps aren't necessarily good. Like the power nap, like it helps with like energy, but the recovery, not so good
1: not so not so important i think for an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial minded folks uh, a little nap can be helpful especially if you're on as, as little sleep as i know you are on sometimes a little nap can be helpful uh yoga nidra or meditation can have the very same effect though uh of the increase in energy post exercise that the exercise of yoga nidra which just basically means like yoga sleep um or or a meditation series so um no, there is not a synonymous uh, connection between napping and physical performance as per this 2017 study.
0: So if I, let's just throw a hypothetical out here and say I get four hours of sleep at night yeah. and I go for it and I go for a two hour nap uh, in the afternoon, that doesn't equal eight hours of sleep.
1: It does not equal eight hours of sleep because- Sorry, your body... six hours of sleep. <laughs> Yeah, not Exactly. By the way, uh, lack of sleep does affect uh, or has has an effect with mental impairment. So uh, if you're not math guys like us, it'll get even more difficult. But um, no, it it does not equal that as our body does work with sleep cycles. Uh, REM cycles is a whole thing that we can get into on on another date. Um, However, I would also argue that it does affect your circadian rhythm, uh, your 24-hour cycle of your body producing and releasing, uh, hormones effectively throughout the day. Um, sleep is extremely important in all aspects, like resetting your brain, uh, the regulation of blood pressure. Um, and I would say if, if you're not producing the hormones at the right times throughout the day, a lot of things will start to go off track. And in the podcast I just filmed before this, this is actually our third one of the day. Now, um, I talk about our importance of a circadian rhythm and sleep cycles and hormone production, much like a symphony, right? So you'll have this symphony of, let's say 80 people who are creating this beautiful music. But if you get that one fricking trombone in the back that starts going a little off key or a little too loud, it throws off the whole symphony, right? And sleep is a huge contributor to this symphony uh, of hormone release and whatnot. One of the things that does affect is, uh, for example, your uh, appetite, uh, how you can take in food and actually, um, digest food when, uh, throughout the day. So, um, on the next topic, which would be nutrition, it will have an effect on that. That's why I do give sleep a little bit of a higher up first and foremost, that, uh, should be focused on, um, even though I would put them on the same line sleep and nutrition as as this on the same line sleep is quite imperative because it will have an effect on your digestive system as well.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That's a good segue.
1: Absolutely. So slipping over a few things I, I would, yeah, we can get into talking about how to get higher quality sleep in one of the next episodes. Um, nutrition is probably one of the most argued upon topics, uh, among any topics ever. Um, However, one of the most important things you can do is just focus on right off the bat. uh, Athletes need to get enough calories in throughout the day. Um, The amount of calories that you take in throughout the day is going to be different per person based on body weight, based on uh, the amount of muscle in your body and overall actual exertion of energy or calories throughout the day. There's a lot of different calculators online that you can try. Or if you have questions, feel free to hit me up and I, I can do help. I can help you out with a little bit about that. But I would say the number one thing first and foremost for young athletes who may not have a, a mature muscle base on them is focusing on just one thing right off the bat is make sure you're getting enough food in after your workout, uh, optimizing your protein, muscle protein synthesis. Um, there was a rumor that was going around for years and years that your body can, a only, uh, absorb so much, uh, between your 30 and 60 minute window post exercise. That's not true at all in highly trained individuals. Um, Your protein synthesis window, which means how much your body's actually going to be taking of of the amino acids and and food that you're going to be taking in and uh, converting it into the muscle tissue that will be repaired from the micro stress that will be happening during your workout. That happens for up to 20 to 24 hours in highly trained individuals, probably more so around 18 to 20 um, and sedentary individuals who maybe are just new to exercise or new to a sport that can go upwards of even 36 hours. So, um, It's not super, super important that you eat immediately after exercise, but getting enough protein in throughout the day. um, The National Institute of Health, for example, they recommend getting in uh, 0.34 grams per pound of body weight, which is very low for athletes. That's specifically just for sedentary individuals. Athletes between 0.6 and 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight is an acceptable amount. Now, if you're Training more, and I, I, again, these are all very, very variable numbers, right? I can just put some stuff out there for you guys to take notes and maybe start uh, elaborating on it yourself in your own research. But uh, a lot of the time, athletes who are training one, two, and if you're training three times a day, one gram per pound of uh, body weight is definitely probably the way you want to go with that, especially as you're starting to create this uh, young but maturing uh, muscle base. After that, you do you can get into your fats and carbs and whatnot. Um, but wow, well, yeah, I would. I love to do a whole podcast on just eating to reduce inflammation in the body, especially for uh, high contact sports. But I would say uh, right off the bat, most people just need to focus on getting on in and enough, enough protein right off the bat. And if you're having meals with a, you know, a serving of vegetables um, and fats along with it, healthy fats such as olive oils, uh, avocados are, are both excellent. Specifically, olive oil actually has um, uh, pain relief and anti-inflammatory uh, qualities far and above most things, um, those are great ways to help fill in the calories that will help also to give you the energy uh, throughout the day. I think carbohydrates is oftentimes um, over-exaggerated uh, among athletes. Um, and they're, like the days of eating bowls and bowls of pasta are, are really going away. It's more so people I'm, I'm seeing now are cre- putting them in more dose-dependent ratios cyclically around exercise and less so just in large amounts throughout the day.
0: Which is just unfortunate.
1: <laughs> hey, I like my pasta too, but uh, I've, I've been off the gluten for a while now. So no more trips to Italy.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, you can get gluten-free stuff.
1: Oh, it's garbage. Honestly, it's, it's okay. not the same. It's not the Scratch same. that.
0: <laughs> Gluten's good-ish.
1: After that, uh, we'd really want to look at just life and stress management. Um, again, these are large topics on, the, on their own, but... Um, full recovery from training really do ends in like, I I would say, yeah, like if you hit the three most important things right off the bat, which is, okay, first of all, you do have to have the well-trained, well-planned training program. You're sleeping well, you're eating better. The last thing on the list to create homeostasis within the body, um, would be, uh, stress management throughout the rest of your day in your life. You know, you might have those two, three, four hours of stress just in the short term, um, but the rest of the day is when a lot of the recovery will be inhibited if we're not starting to look at that well enough. So some really simple uh, tips for that right off the bat would be, um, slowing things down. So our brains and our bodies are really designed to face acute stressors, you know, like hunting a bear or getting chased by a lion or something like that. And then having longer periods to recover, eat, sleep, and relax and procreate before we go to the next thing. Right. Um, Nowadays, we don't really get that period. Uh, There's too many stressors in our environment that are keeping us on this, um, this uh, sympathetic response throughout the entire day. Um, So one of the first things that people can do is just begin to slow things down and take five to 10 minute mental breaks throughout the day to kind of just check in with yourself and notice any signs of tension in the body or worry in the mind. Um, You can do this through uh, meditation practices, mindfulness practices, uh, maybe short walks are all really great way to just slow things down in the brain right off the bat. And breathing, breathing techniques are another good one. I know you integrate in with your athletes as there's an immediate uh, response within the body. Uh, after that, uh, light exercise like a walking, I was saying, is another great example of helping the body to to deal with stress. As even just uh, moving forward, or as they say in in uh, 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 biopsychology, undulate, uh, forward undulating movements actually shows the eyes that we're uh, making forward progress, for example, Um, and wider planes of vision, not staring at a screen, which is a very acute point of of focus, but wider planes of vision will actually help to decrease the stress response, Um, which might be one of the reasons why people from Saskatchewan are so nice all the time. (laughs) But uh, after that, um, again, this does relate to walking, which is getting out in the green nature. Connecting out with nature is one of the best ways to slow things down. Um, the, the researchers over at Stanford actually showed that uh, walking on a green campus and uh, a parkland trail produced anxiety and worry more than walking on a busy street and had uh, amazing cognitive benefits as well. And in another study, uh, students were, um, they were stressed by having to take a math test and then getting, getting feedback for it. Um, and the stressor itself, Uh, The researchers assigned participants uh, to one of the two groups and they saw that uh, when they were walking down the empty pathways or streets in urban environments, they again saw um, a better cardiovascular response. Their heart rate actually lowered even when they were just looking at pictures of empty streets as compared to busy streets. So our eyes and our brain pick up on these um, chaotic environment, even when we're not in them, which is very, very interesting. So be very aware of what you're taking in through, uh, your mind throughout the day, through your eyes throughout the day. After that, um, there's lots of other excellent ways, but those are quick, simple ways to, um, to increase uh, relaxation throughout the day. After that, some of the next things we look at would be are like active recovery, which would be uh, sleep and deep tissue work, uh, ice and cryotherapy, for example. And, um, The very last one on the list, and I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this the most would be, um, your passive recovery tools and gimmicks, but really quickly, uh, passive recovery, deep tissue work that that would include your foam rolling, um, going for massages, the gun all of these things are now we're getting towards the very end of the pyramid where these are much less so important. They help, but they're not the most important thing in the world. Um, for the most part, I actually see the foam roller being used or misused, uh, more than anything else of, of uh, a lot of these equipment and same thing with, with the massage stuff. Cause essentially, um, if we're trying to loosen up those muscles, feel more relaxed, we're trying to lengthen those muscles. Uh, so we have more ability or, or less ability to, um, have an acute injury on some sort of tight area, um, a foam roller and massaging, it creates what's called nerve inhibition on an area. It essentially deadens the nerves under and within a muscle that allows us to then afterwards stretch that muscle out without so much feedback telling us that, Oh, you need to pull back. Um, so doing the foam rolling, doing the massaging should be followed up with your, uh, passive recovery, such as, um, uh, uh, static stretching. That would be the next step to that rather than just doing it alone.
0: So, you shouldn't foam roll before your workout after your workout only
1: i'm not i'm not against foam rolling before the workout like specifically with athletes and maybe their groins are always going to be a little bit tight go ahead foam roll that um before workout you will create acute um loosening among that area right but if you're not taking the time to then lengthen it once those nerves and the muscles have been just very acutely um dampened off a little bit it's not going to have a long-term effect right there's a reason why you have to keep going in for massages and you have to keep foam rolling it's not like it's actually like a yogi can just bend over touch their toes after years of experience because they've lengthened and now have mobility in those regions to do that Um, but it's not a a foam rolling every single day for a year is not going to give you the ability to do that
0: gotcha it's partnered with certain things
1: It should be partnered with, yeah, certain things or pre-workout is really great to just have better mobility in the acute moment. Yeah. Um, And yeah, the very last thing would be your, you know, passive recovery tools and I don't want to say gimmicks, but gadgets and tools a lot of the time, there's so many cool gadgets and tools, the aura rings, the whoop bands, all of these feedback mechanisms, Um, red light therapy. I just got a red light therapy. I've created kind of like a a meditation area in, in the bedroom um your C D and audio tapes. These these are all really great things. I, I would actually put those maybe into the life stress management category, but um, they're
0: like add-ons though, right? You all don't of these things that are them, add-ons, yeah. They're they're good to use though.
1: But the tricky thing here, and I'm sure you can think of many, many different things that are marketed to athletes. I, I've even seen uh, pennants with a certain stone or crystal that, you know, they, they've said this will have energetic capabilities. And I'm not saying that's wrong, actually. I'm, I'm not against the woo-woo at all, but um, uh, those things I see a uh, propensity towards athletes going towards in the hope of almost, I feel like it's the lottery effect of maybe that's my thing. You know, maybe that will help give me that one or 2% and a higher amount of both parents and athletes allocating income into the the gadgets, tools, and recovery mechanisms that are not one, investing in in a program or a coaches, either one or many that are going to help you with everything that we've briefly talked about today, sleep and nutrition, a better mattress, darkening, dampening shades in the room, eye goggles to darken your room out, um, removing cellular devices from the room, um, a proper sleep environment, maybe cooling, maybe air filtration in the room, investing in proper nutrition, going for the the higher quality things, maybe investing in in a part-time nutritionist so you can learn it in the meantime. And then in also investing in the stress management strategies. All of these things I feel are a lot of the time secondary to these really quick, fun things that people buy that I think will have a larger effect than they actually do. So if we're going to go to go through that you know, recovery hierarchy, all of the things we talked about in the beginning are so critically for you to research more because we only did briefly talk about it or wait for further episodes. Um, those are the number one things to, to jump into because at the end of the day, performance and recovery is going to be built on the foundations of health. We all like to talk about the sexy science and all of these really cool new advances in technology and athletic training. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the basics and we need to get better at getting back to the basics.
0: You heard it here first, hitting the nail around the head, I think. I'm happy that my views and kind of outlook on it lines up with yours where if we have a good plan, if we have good structure, Diet, nutrition, sleep, stress. Like after that, everything else is a bonus. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Like because of good workout programming and on ice programming, you're gonna have good deep muscle uh, and recovery. Right, you're gonna know how to stretch afterwards or stretch before. Proper warm up, proper cool down. Go home. Okay, I'm gonna ride the bike a little bit because I still feel the the acid buildup. Mm-hmm. Right, I like that. Makes me excited to break each section down more because you have seven pages. Right, that's yeah. a lot of information.
1: I don't know. I was I was thinking we should go Joe Rogan style and let just go four hours straight. But uh, maybe that's not I the best don't idea. think
0: so. no. I don't have
1: <laughs>
0: I don't have the capacity for that one. I know I'm more of a car ride to the rink kind of guy. Fair kind of, well, we're, kind we're of podcast. Car rides in now. Perfect. Get to All and right, from the rink. Thank you for jumping on.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited to jump, jump into the, uh, I would say sleep and nutrition uh, would be our, our next big one. Still, I, I would expect people to sit down for an hour, get your pen and paper ready. Um, that's going to be a large one. And after that, we can uh, dive deeper after that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: All right, man. Thanks for having me on. If anybody wants to find me in the meantime, you can find me at Denon Maxim Chuck on Instagram. Have fun spelling that. So Michael's going to throw that <laughs> the podcast. Uh, or an easier one to find uh, my girlfriend in our, our business at embodied wellness co is embodiedwellnessco.com. Um It's probably about all I can give for you since I got a really tough name to spell.
0: Their, uh, their podcast hits. It's home on a lot of things too. I know it's mainly geared towards female health and wellness, but I still take tips from it. Be a sponge, go listen.
1: Absolutely. All right, man, thank you so much. Thank you.